Welcome to the first episode of the Love Lessons podcast, a space for you to invest in your most important relationships 20 minutes at a time. Today, I sit down with New York Times bestselling author and relationships counselor, Dr. Gary Chapman. And we're talking about how to best express love, how to get better at apology, and how to show appreciation better at work. Let's go to today's episode. Dr. Gary, thank you so much for um, joining us today. Well, thank you, Dave. It's great to be with you. Uh, Dr. Gary, you've dedicated um, really the whole of your life in helping people develop uh, long-lasting relationships, and you've discovered um, the five love languages. Uh, just tell us a bit about how you came across them. You know, I discovered the love languages in my counseling. Uh, couples would sit in my office, and uh, a wife, for example, would say, I just don't feel any love coming from him. And he would say, I don't understand that. I do everything I can to show her that I love her. And she sits there and says she doesn't feel love. He says, I don't understand it. And I said, well, what do you do to show love to her? Well, I get home before she does, so I cook the evening meal. And he said, then I wash dishes. Thursday nights, I vacuum the floor. Saturdays, I wash the car. I mow the grass. I help her with the laundry. And, and then he said, I do all of that. And she says she doesn't feel loved. He said, I don't know what else to do. And she says, you know, he's right. He, he's a hardworking man. But we don't ever talk. We haven't talked in 20 years. He's always washing the dishes, mowing the grass, always doing something. That was the initial reality that what one person considered to be love was not what another person considered to be love. And after that, I heard similar stories over and over. So eventually I thought, you know, there's got to be a pattern to this. So I read several years of notes that I made when I was counseling people and asked myself, when someone said, I feel like my spouse doesn't love me, what did they want? What were they complaining about? And their answers fell into five categories. And I called them the five love languages and started using that in my counseling. If you want him to feel love, you've got to learn how to speak his language. If you want her to feel love, you've got to learn to speak her language. And I would help them discover their love language and challenge them to go home and try it. And sometimes they would come back in three weeks and say, Gary, this is changing everything. The whole climate's different now. And so, you know, I used it for several years in my counseling before I decided to write the book. And I thought, if I can put this in a book, maybe I can help a lot of couples. I will never have time to see in my office. So walk us through each of the five. Uh, these are in no particular order, but one would be words of affirmation. You look nice in that outfit. I really appreciate what you did. Just looking for things that you can genuinely affirm them for. In the book of Proverbs, it says, life and death is in the power of the tongue. We can kill people by the way we talk, and we can give them life. So words of affirmation. And then there's uh, quality time. Giving them your undivided attention. It's not sitting together watching television. TV's off. Computer's down. We're not answering the phone. We're giving each other our full attention. Or you can be walking down the road and talking, but you're giving them undivided attention, quality time. And then there's acts of service, doing something that you know they would like for you to do. That's the language the gentleman was using. He was cooking and he was washing dishes, and, but her language was quality time. When she said, we don't ever talk, she meant we don't ever sit down and share life with each other. And uh, then uh, there's gifts. It's universal to give gifts as an expression of love. The gift says, they were thinking about me. Look, look what they got from me. And then there's physical touch. And we've long known the power of physical touch. That's why we pick up babies and hold them and kiss them and cuddle them. 
long before they understand the meaning of the word love, they feel love by physical touch. So the simple idea is that out of the five, each of us has what I call a primary love language. One of the five speaks more deeply to us emotionally than the other four. And seldom does a husband and wife have the same language. So you've got to learn their language and then speak their language. And when you do, you meet that emotional need for love. My wife and I often joke, because we have um, three young children, and um, she often says to me, uh, I'd love to one day tell Dr. Chapman that there's actually a sixth love language, which after a long day with the children is space. Space. Um, <laughs> I how, can see that. <laughs> yeah. How do you work out what people's love languages are? Can you tell just by being with somebody what their love languages are, and therefore you then change the way that you... Uh, seek to love that person? Yeah, I think there, there are three simple ways. One is to observe their behavior. How do they typically relate to other people? If you hear them always giving other people encouraging words, chances are that their language is words of affirmation. Uh, if they are always giving people a gifts, then very likely receiving gifts is their language. So observe their behavior. Secondly, what do they complain about most often? The complaint reveals the love language. If a wife says to a husband, I just feel like we don't ever have any time together, she's complaining that she doesn't get quality time. If he says, I don't think you would ever touch me if I didn't initiate it, he's telling her physical touch is his language. And so listen to their complaints. We tend to get defensive if our spouse complains about something, but they're really giving us valuable information. And then what do they request of you most often? If they're saying right regularly, honey, could we take a walk after dinner? They're asking you for quality time. If you're getting ready to go on a business trip and your spouse says, be sure and bring me a surprise, <laughs> they're telling you gifts is their language. If you put those three things together, you can pretty well figure out another person's language and your own language. The same way, observe yourself. And what do you complain about? And what do you request? It's pretty easy to figure out the other person's uh, love language. And Dr. Chapman, you, you talk about this idea of the love tank, the idea of watching someone's complaint may be a sign of the love tank needing filling. Mm -hmm. Just say a bit more about, about that idea. Yeah. Well, you know, in a, in, a, in a gasoline car, if the gasoline tank is full, you can drive a long ways. If it's getting near empty, you're not going very far. So I like to picture inside every one of us, even in children, every child has what I'm calling a love tank. And if the love tank is full, that is they genuinely feel loved by the parents, they tend to grow up emotionally healthy. If the love tank is empty and they don't feel loved, they grow up with a lot of internal struggles emotionally. And in the teenage years, they often go looking for love in the wrong places. But I think adults also have a love tank. And so if, if your spouse has a full love tank, life is beautiful. But if the love tank is empty and they feel like they don't love me, they wish they weren't married to me, life can begin to look pretty dark. So what I'm talking about is to say here, this is the way you can keep the love tank full. It's not just doing what you think would make them feel loved. It's doing what you know would make them feel loved. You write about how the love languages can transform every relationship that we, we have in our, our lives. Uh, we're obviously recording this in, uh, in London, uh, UK, 8.8 uh, .8 million people, and about 50% are not married, single, dating. Uh, just tell us a little about how the love languages um, best help those who are, aren't in a relationship, a romantic relationship or, 
or a date? Well, I had, I had a lot of single adults say to me, we read your book on couples, but how does that work with us? We're not married. And so I wrote a, a special edition for single adults, you know, Five Love Languages for Singles. And I apply it to their relationship with their parents, why they maybe felt loved or didn't feel loved growing up, and I ask the question, do your parents feel your love? Do you know your parents' love language? It can have a tremendous impact there. And then if you have siblings, you know, how does this relate? How does it relate to dating relationships? Listen, all of us, married or single, have a deep emotional need to feel loved. And if you get this concept down and you learn the love language of people that you, you have a relationship with and begin to speak that language and maybe share it with them and they get the concept, it can change the whole emotional climate in a work situation, in a roommate situation. It just has a tremendous impact in meeting that deep need for love. Dr. Chapman, you mentioned about the working relationships. Tell us more about that and about um, how showing appreciation can impact a work environment. Yeah, well, you know, through the years, I've had lots of people say to me, uh, I read your book on marriage, but I've taken it to work. And then I teamed up with a, a, a co-author who was a psychologist who had spent 20 years working with business leaders. And what motivated me to write a book on how it applies in the workplace was we found that in, in the U.S., 70% of the people who have a job say they feel little to no appreciation from the people with whom they work. Wow. And 64% of the people who leave a job and go to another job say they left primarily because they didn't feel appreciated where they were. When I found that out, I said, man, I'm with you. Let's, let's do some research. Let's make sure this works. And so he would go into a work environment, give a job satisfaction test, and then we would share the concept of what we call the five languages of appreciation in the workplace rather than love. We call it appreciation, but it's the same need, you know, that, that I'm, a, I'm an invaluable person. You know, people appreciate what I'm doing. And uh, then everybody would learn each other's appreciation language. He'd go back a year later and give them a job satisfaction test. And in every case, it was statistically improved. If you feel appreciated at work and you want to go to work every morning, if you feel like nobody cares about me, oh, I'm just a cog in a machine, you just as soon not go to work. It doesn't have to be that way. It can be totally different if we learn the concept and learn each other's appreciation language at work. And then alongside appreciation, um, talk a bit about the role of, of apology. That's one of the hardest things in friendships and marriage is to, to admit that you're wrong. Can, can you help us become better apology? Yeah, I, I tell you what happened. Uh, a counselor made an appointment with me, and uh, she said, uh, Dr. Chapman, she said, I've been using the five love languages for years in my counseling couples. But I believe people also have an apology language. She said, I think that what one person considers to be a sincere apology is not what another person considers to be a sincere apology. Because typically we learned how to apologize from our parents. If our parents said to us, go tell your sister you're sorry. So we say, I'm sorry. You know, now we're 23. And if we offend our spouse, we'll say, I'm sorry. But they had a different parent. They taught them something different. So we actually asked thousands of people two questions. When you apologize, what do you typically say or do? When someone's apologizing to you, what do you want to hear them say or do? 
And the answers fell into five categories. I promise you, we were not looking for five, even though I like five. (laughs) And we call them the five apology languages and wrote a book on that topic. So uh, the reality is this. None of us are perfect. Whether you're talking about marriage or whether you're talking about work, none of us are perfect. We all sometimes say things, do things, or fail to say or do things that hurt the other person. And what happens when when that happens? It puts a barrier, an emotional barrier between us. And it doesn't go away with the passing of time. It just sits there. And then there's another offense, and there's another block in a wall. And married couples build walls between them because they hurt each other, hurt each other, hurt each other, and they never, they never deal with it. To, to tear the wall down or, or to keep it down, we've got to apologize and then choose to forgive. So in that book, we're trying to help people understand what each other sees as a sincere apology and then choose to say it, choose to do it. Uh, whether it's I'm sorry, which is expressing regret. You know, I feel badly about what I did. I'm sorry. Or to accept responsibility. I was wrong. Should not have done that. Or to offer to make restitution. You know, how, what can I do to make this right? You know, how, how can I make this up to you? We understand what the other person considers to be a sincere apology. We apologize in a way that's meaningful to them. I remember a lady, you mentioned that I'm sorry, I'm sorry. She said, every time he does it, he says, I'm sorry. He does it again the next week. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. She said, I'm sorry means nothing to me. If he really was sincere, he would change his behavior, which is, which is one of the languages. You know, it's expressing the desire to change my behavior. So uh, learning to apologize and then choosing to forgive. And I like to emphasize that forgiveness is a choice, not a feeling. Because when you've been hurt by the other person, You may not feel like forgiving them. You feel like making them suffer for what they did. But we don't want to be controlled by our feelings. Forgiveness is choosing to pardon, choosing to remove the barrier that this has created between us so that we can now go on in our relationship. I don't think you can have a long-term healthy marriage or a long-term healthy friendship without apology and forgiveness because none of us are perfect. You don't have to be perfect to have good relationships, but we do have to deal with our failures. And that means apologizing and forgiving. That's so helpful. A week ago, I was at a wedding, sat next to um, uh, someone I hadn't met before, and I was asking them what were they making of the, kind of the wedding ceremony in the day, and, and they said, um, not quite as politely as this, but um, I, just don't, I just don't care about marriage. Uh, what she had witnessed was a very uh, complicated breakup with her parents. They divorced. Mm-hmm. And it's been a very difficult time. Um, I, I slightly wonder whether people are asking the question of why marriage, if it can be so painful when it doesn't go right. Yeah. What would you say to you know, a culture that's asking that question? Not just how, how do we do marriage, but why would we do it in the first place? Well, first of all, I'm very empathetic with a person who grew up in a home where they saw their parents divorce. Because many of them have said to me, I don't want to do that. They don't want to put anybody else through that. So I'm empathetic with those feelings. But, you know, all of us have this deep need to be loved and to be loved over the long haul, to have somebody that's going to stick with me forever, going to be there when I'm sick and need help, going to be there, you know, when everything else goes wrong. There's that deep longing for that kind of intimate relationship. And that's what marriage is designed to be. We're sharing life intellectually, emotionally, socially, spiritually, physically, and we're sharing life to such a degree 
that you can say we actually kind of become one. It's a deep, deep intimacy, and it's satisfying. And you don't find that in I'm this, this person this month and this person next month and this person next month. And after a while, you begin to feel like you can't even have good relationships forever. So I'm empathetic with the feelings, but I think uh, there's no question in my mind that marriage designed as God designed it, where we are each looking out for the other's interests. I'm in this relationship to help you become the person you want to become, and you have the same attitude toward me. It's deeply, deeply satisfying. Dr. Chapman, tell us a bit about how does your faith impact every relationship that you, you hold in your life? Yeah. Well, you know, I think uh, for me, my relationship with God is the key to everything that I do. Uh, I didn't have a good relationship with my wife in those early years after I came down off that in love experience, you know. And we disagreed on a lot of things. We argued about a lot of things. And yeah, I just thought, God, I don't know what's happening here. I thought I was in love with her. I've lost those feelings now. I've got negative feelings toward her. And I remember when I said to God, I don't know what else to do. And as soon as I said that, there came to my mind of a visual image of Jesus on his knees washing the feet of his disciples. And I remember the story, and I heard God say to me, that's the problem in your marriage. You don't have the attitude of Christ. And uh, I thought, oh, God, you're right. I don't. <laughs> and I just said, God, forgive me. I said, please give me the attitude of Christ toward her. And uh, in retrospect, it's the greatest prayer I ever prayed about my own marriage. God changed my attitude. And I started asking her three simple questions that radically changed my marriage. Is what can I do to make your life easier? And then how can I be a better husband? And she was freely willing to give me answers. <laughs> and I began to respond to those things. And it didn't happen overnight, but within three months, my wife started asking me those three questions. And we've been walking this road a long time now, in which I've been reaching out to serve her, and she's been reaching out to serve me. And I believe this is the answer. If we have the attitude of Christ, that we're here in the world to serve other people, and in a marriage, we're here to serve each other. And when you do it that way, you, you have what marriage was intended to be, a loving, supportive, caring relationship. So uh, my relationship with God uh, you know, permeates everything in my life and, and consequently affects my whole approach to everything. I really believe that we're here to follow the example of Christ. We're not here for other people to serve us. We're here to serve others. Imagine what would happen if a significant number of Christians really had that attitude. In every, every, in every relationship, we're looking on how we can serve other people. It would, it would transform society. <laughs> uh, Dr. Chapman, alongside your uh, almost 62 years of marriage, you've, um, uh, you've been writing out of that experience and writing out of the experience of, of counselling people. And Dr. Chapman, as we come to a close, would you be willing to, to, to pray for us and, and for those, those listening? Absolutely, yeah. Father, we pause and acknowledge you as our God, our Savior, our Lord. You know those who are listening to us today talk about love. I pray that as they listen, that they will sense your love for them, that they will be responsive to your love, and then become your representatives in loving other people. Father, we know that your desire is that we work together, whatever our race, whatever our culture, to encourage each other, to help each other,
to invest our lives in serving others in your name. And so we pray that you would spark that idea in the heart of all those who are listening. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. 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 Um, thank you so much for your uh, wisdom and your, your time spent with us this morning. We really, really uh, appreciate it. Well, thank you. It was great to be with you. Thank you so much for joining us on our first episode of the Love Lessons podcast. Uh, we look forward to seeing you for our next episode where I'll be sitting down with author and broadcaster, Lauren Windle.